0: and we are live. Thank you guys for coming back once again. So, couple of things I wanted to talk about. One of the things is something of a big deal in, in my community, in the atheist community. There's been some pretty big news lately. Um, the nun category has surpassed religious people in the U.S. apparently, officially. So something, I, I pulled up the the, the Pew, uh, what is it? The, the Religious Landscape Study by Pew Research Center. Uh, just to kind of take a look through it. To give you guys an idea of how this works, the none category encompasses not just atheists, but it also includes agnostics and a lot of other things. Not just uh, one small subset. So atheist, as far as I know only include, I think atheists, self-professed atheists account for like six, seven percent of the U.S. population, something like that. It's really, really tiny. But the nun category is a lot bigger. Religious nuns, now largest single religious group among Democrats. Evangelicals remain largest religious group in GOP coalition. Big surprise. See, this is something I just want to touch on real quick. The fact that evangelicals make up the largest religious group in the Republican Party. Relatively steady share of religiously affiliated adults say religion is very important to them. Total religiously affiliated, 64% uh, say very. uh, 27% say somewhat. 8% say not too uh, religiously affiliated or not at all. Interesting. Then 2014, you can see where the numbers kind of changed. It went from 64% say very religiously affiliated. Uh, and then 66% in 2014 said very. So that's a change of, of seven years. I think they do these studies every seven years. Anyways, there's another uh, study that I wanted to take a look at. So this one was atheists. Okay, Jehovah's Witnesses by State. Gender composition among all Jehovah's Witnesses. 35% men, 65% women. Immigrant status among Jehovah's Witnesses. Income distribution among Jehovah's Witnesses. Now, I figured this one was going to be interesting. Income distribution among Jehovah's Witnesses. Because, of course, they're famously... They have a lot of issues with... um, the governing body kind of discourages them from being involved in college and going to college or anything like that. So what what is going to happen with them? What's their income gonna look like? 48% make less than $30,000 a year. Now 30,000 a year is um, enough to live off of in, in many areas but not in others like in New York City, for example, or just in New York. If you're in downtown New York, or so- Southern New York state? There's no way you could survive off of that. You just couldn't. Period. Twenty-five percent make 30,000 to 50,000 a year. 22 percent make 50 to 100,000 a year, and then four percent make 100,000 a year or more. That's a fascinating statistic to me. Uh, I actually went to a, a kingdom hall that uh, like when I was growing up, my parents were broke. They had no money. My dad was handicapped and he lived off of social security pretty much. We were broke, broke, broke. But the thing about it was that the income that my parents got was steady since it was social security it was guaranteed every month, which means that it was pretty easy to get a home loan. So we got a home loan in uh in a a little suburb that was that had a lot of rich people in it even though we didn't live in a rich part of it. But that means we went to a kingdom hall that was really nice, like that had a lot of rich people in it, surprisingly. One of the Jehovah's Witnesses that we knew was a dentist and um, he had a PhD. And I, actually, I, I don't think he was, I think by the time we knew him, he was out of dentistry and he was, uh, he's basically making dentures for people, like shaping them and And stuff like that, like dentists offices would send t- teeth molds to him, and he would make the dentures with drills and stuff and send them back uh which is really really fascinating because that is a seriously skilled uh a skilled job like you have to be really good at what you do to do that correctly and You wouldn't think a Jehovah's Witness would do that. Like, you wouldn't think that they would be skilled enough to do that, but apparently he went to college before he joined Jehovah's Witnesses because they discourage college so heavily. Percent of Jehovah's Witnesses who are parents of children under 18 among Jehovah's Witnesses, 29%, and then non-parents, 71%. There you go. Belief in God among Jehovah's Witnesses, 90% believe in God, absolutely certain. 8% believe in God, fairly certain oh, wow, 1% believe in God, but not to or not at all certain, and then under 1% believe in God or don't know, do not believe in God, or other don't know if they believe in God. How bizarre that those are even options on the, like, on the, um on the, uh, fuck, what is this thing called? On the uh, study, the poll, Jesus Christ, on the poll importance of religion in one's life among Jehovah's Witnesses, attendance at religious services. If you don't attend services, it's a problem. They start calling you inactive and it gets messy. You definitely need to participate in like the meetings and stuff or you'll get like pre-shunned by your friends and family sources of guidance on right and wrong among Jehovah's Witnesses. I was looking for anything like that kind of popped out. Interpreting scripture among Jehovah's Witnesses. Word of God should be taken literally 47%. Word of God not everything taken literally 40%. That's interesting. It tells me that at least like around half the Jehovah's Witnesses don't know how they're supposed to take the Bible because they do have like a set rule about what they're supposed to believe about the bible this isn't up for debate it shouldn't it should be 100 uh taken literally but uh actually some of the things are not taken completely literally in the bible by jehovah's witnesses i'm not sure if you guys heard but i've been talking about this for a little while there was a secret database that jehovah's witnesses had That they were hiding, that they weren't going to release the names, and it's just hit the news that it exists. Now, we've known about this for a long time. We knew about it because it came out in a court case, uh, the Padron court case, but, and they were trying to get Jehovah's Witnesses to release the information, uh, and it was part of discovery in the court case, but Jehovah's Witnesses opted to just settle, basically, outside of court, I think, with the with padrone, They paid him a ton of money. If they hadn't settled, then the court may have forced them to release the information in this database. Um, or Jehovah's Witnesses would have deleted it, one of the two. But I thought this was uh, kind of interesting. So it says, In March 97, the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society, which is... Uh, the non organization that oversees Jehovah's Witnesses. It's the Watchtower Society. It's That's what it means. Sent a letter to each of its 10,000 congregations and to many more congregations worldwide. The organization was concerned about the legal risk posed by possible child molesters within its ranks. The letter, there goes monetization on this video. The letter laid out instructions on how to deal with a known predator. Write a detailed report answering 12 questions was this a one-time occurrence or did the accused have a history of molestation how is the accused viewed within the community does anyone else know about the abuse and mail it to the watchtower mail it to watchtower's headquarters in special blue envelopes keep a copy of the report in your congregation's uh, confidential file the instructions continued and do not share it with anyone Thus did the Jehovah's Witnesses build what might be the world's largest database of undocumented child molesters, at least two decades' worth of names and addresses, likely numbering in tens of thousands, and detailed acts of alleged abuse, most of which have never been shared with law enforcement, all scanned and searchable in a Microsoft SharePoint file. In recent decades, much of the world's attention to allegations of abuse have focused on the Catholic Church and other religious groups— Less notice has been paid to the abuse among the Jehovah's Witnesses, a Christian sect with more than 8.5 million members. Yet, all this time, Watchtower has refused to comply with multiple court orders to release the information contained in its database and has paid millions of dollars over the years to keep it secret, even from the survivors whose stories are are contained within. That effort has been remarkably successful until recently. A white priority mailbox filled with manila envelopes sits on the floor of Mark O'Donnell's wood-paneled home office on the outskirts of Baltimore, Maryland. Mark, 51, is the owner of an exercise equipment repair business and a longtime Jehovah's Witness who quietly left their religion in late 2013. Soon after, he became known to ex-Jehovah's Witnesses as John Redwood. Oh, shit, John Redwood. Okay, I know him. An activist and a blogger who reports on the various controversies, including cases of child abuse surrounding Watchtower. Recently, he's begun using his own name. I did not know that. I thought that was a real name. Okay. He works with uh, Lloyd Evans a lot. That's amazing. I'm so, so glad that uh, he's involved in this. When I first met Mark in May of last year, he appeared at the front door of his modest home in the same outfit he nearly always wears. Khaki cargo shorts, a short-sleeved shirt, white sneakers, and sweat socks pulled up over his calves. Well, that's kind of boring. One would think that he would mix it up a little bit every now and then. Why not black cargo shorts from time to time? Or even multicolored. He invited me to his densely furnished office where a fan barely dispelled the wafting smell of cat food. What the hell? Why are they talking about what his office smelled like? Are they trying to draw us a fucking picture here? What are they doing? Uh, where a fan barely dispelled the wafting smell of cat food. He pulled an envelope from the priority mailbox and passed me its contents. A mixture of typed and handwritten letters discussing various sins allegedly committed by members of Jehovah's Witness congregation in Massachusetts. All the letters in the box had been stolen by an anonymous source inside the religion and shared with Mark. The sins described in the letters ranged from the mundane. Smoking pot, marital infidelity, drunkenness. Those are not mundane to Jehovah's Witnesses, to the horrifying Slowly, over the past couple of years, Mark has been leaking the most damning contents of the box, much of which is still secret. Mark's eyebrows are permanently arched, and when he makes an important point, he peers out above his rimless glasses, eyes widened, which lends him a conspiratorial air. Start with these, he said. Oh my God, this is such a ridiculous article. Why are they writing it like this? Just give me the fucking information. I don't need this I don't need this picture drawn. Ugh, God. With a conspiratorial air. Give me a break. Um, among the papers Mark showed me that... Uh, Mark, I'm sorry. Among the papers Mark showed me that day was a series of letters about a man from Springfield, Massachusetts who'd been disfellowshipped, a form of excommunication, three times. When the man was once again reinstated in 2008, someone working in a division of Watchtower wrote to his congregation, noting that in 1989, which, by the way, is the year I was born, interestingly, uh, he was said to have allowed his 11-year-old stepdaughter to touch his P word on at least two occasions. I was struck by the oddness of the language. It insinuated that the man had agreed to rather than initiated the contact after I left Mark's house I tracked down the stepdaughter now 40 in fact she told me she'd only been 8 when that happened he was the adult and I was the kid so I thought I didn't have any choice she was terrified she told me it took me 2 years to go to my mom about it that's really sad her mom immediately went to the congregation's elders who later called the girl and her stepfather in to pray with them really? she remembers it as a humiliating experience god I hate this shit Her stepfather was eventually disfellowshipped for instances that involved fornication, drunkenness, and lying, according to the letters. But according to the stepdaughter, his alleged molestation of her resulted only in his being privately reproved. Of course it did. A closed-door reprimand that is usually accompanied by a temporary loss of privileges, quote-unquote, such as being allowed to offer comments during Bible study or lead prayer. The letters make no reference to police being notified. The stepdaughter said her mother was encouraged to keep the matter private, and no attempt was made to keep the stepfather away from other children. Calls to the congregation's kingdom hall. The witness version of a church for comment went unanswered. Yeah, um, so to break this down, basically they're saying that this is a case where this guy was breaking rules, and it was open and well-known he was he was molesting this girl and the mother knew it and the daughter knew it and he knew it and the elders knew it and everybody knew it but instead of calling the police they handled it internally as they so often want to do they want to believe that they are their own government they want to believe that The police are unnecessary. They'll handle everything internally. They will disfellowship this guy and kick him out of the religion and he won't be a problem anymore. That's their philosophy. They don't give a shit what happens when he leaves. They don't care who else, what other children he comes in contact with when he leaves the religion because they're not going to be Jehovah's Witness children. They're only worried about Jehovah's Witness children. They fancy themselves their own government. That is really the issue. And they treat it like a sin and not a crime um, in my opinion Uh, of course now i think they're getting a little bit better about it uh, about contacting the police and things like that but over the years they have really dropped the ball and that's why they're paying out millions and millions and millions of dollars they're paying out so much money right now that they had to sell off their headquarters that they've had since day one pretty much since their heyday, since they got really, really big back forever ago. They had to sell it off. I think they made like $1.3 billion out of it or something. They had their slave labor build new uh, headquarters for them. So that's how much money they're shelling out right now. Hundreds of millions of dollars. I suspect maybe even billions. I mean, there have been a few court cases where they've been ordered to pay 45 50 million, 70 million dollars and how many of those court cases are there? Tons. Are they I, I don't think they're reaching the billions yet in how much they've had to pay out, but it's it's in the hundreds of millions at least. So it's it's within an order, order of magnitude as far as I'm concerned. Anyway, I'm glad to hear that this is being covered by mainstream news because I've actually been talking about this for a long time, this database. Uh I've talked about it in many videos, and I've mentioned that there are the a suspected like twenty-three thousand names roughly. That that's just an estimate. It could be two thousand. It could be a hundred thousand. We really have no way of knowing, but that's a guess, and it's, it's an educated guess. It's about 23,000. It's not out of thin air. There are reasons for believing that it's about that high, but anyway, yeah, I've been talking about it for a while. Glad, that, glad to see that it's being covered by the Atlantic. I don't know anything about the Atlantic, but it seems pretty mainstream to me, so that's something. March 9th, 1997. That is when the police received a call from an anonymous person saying this group, uh, this group of people they believed committed mass suicide. That's what they told the police. Like I said, it was an anonymous person. So what, what happens is the police show up and they find 39 dead bodies just lying in bed with bags over their heads. They had consumed applesauce mixed with uh, sleeping medicine, sleeping pills. So what happened was half of them had mixed up the applesauce and eaten it put bags over their head the other half watched them and made kind of went up and down the rows to make sure that they were you know secured and going to sleep and everything else and then the second half did the same thing secured bags and after some time the police were called by this anonymous person they show up they find all of this here and they found a bunch of tapes from the leader. Doe is what he went by. His, name, his real name is Marshall Applewhite. Now, I've talked about this before, but I, ha- I have a point behind this. Why is it that this was considered a cult from day one, but Jehovah's Witnesses have not been considered a cult? Why is it, what is it about Jehovah's Witnesses' presentation that doesn't scream cult to people? I didn't even think it was a cult i didn't think that mormons were a cult or any other groups like that were a cult until way later until i discovered the bite model and started kind of trying to research it myself and figure out what a cult is why is it that these groups are considered mostly harmless when something like heaven's gate was called from the very start as being a cult i remember looking through the bite model for the very first time and seeing things like, does the group set up a system of rewards and punishments? Uh, For example, heaven and hell, you've got the carrot and the stick. Why is setting up a system of rewards and punishments important? Why does that matter? Why is that a marker on the bite model? The reason is because you have things like, you, you, you can see this group trying to modify people's behavior through this system of rewards and punishments to try to turn them into who they want them to be, okay? So if you send a dog to a training school, what are they going to do? If you're trying to get the dog, if you're trying to teach the dog how to sit or how to play dead or how to roll over, something like that, what are you gonna do? You're going to give it treats when it does it correctly or you're going to chastise it in some way if it does it incorrectly or at the very least give it treats. I don't know, I've never trained dogs. I'm just throwing it out there. That's a system of rewards and punishments to teach this dog what you want it to do under certain circumstances. So if you hold your hand out, it's going to put its paw in your hand after enough positive reinforcement, right? It kind of becomes natural. It's like Pavlov's dog where, it would, where Pavlov would ring the bell and feed the dog. Ring the bell, feed the dog. Ring the bell, feed the dog. And after some time when he rang the bell the dog would salivate expecting food before the food even came out. It's conditioning, it's conditioning people. These rewards and punishments, the system of rewards and punishments is intended to condition and modify people's behavior until they have a, a personality that you want them to have or that these cult leaders want their members to have. So heaven and hell is commonly used as one of those methods of conditioning, the fear of hell, the promise of seeing loved ones after you die or after they've died, uh, the promise of seeing loved ones uh, who were handicapped or who were injured in some way, seeing them walk again, that kind of thing. When I was younger, I think I was probably eight, nine, ten years old, maybe. My brother, my oldest brother, got disfellowshipped from Jehovah's Witnesses. And he... As a family, we shunned him. We were not allowed to talk to him. He was cut off. He wasn't allowed to come to the house. We weren't allowed to call him. He wasn't... uh, We didn't answer the phone if he called us. Like I said, I was like eight, nine, ten years old. I was doing what my parents told me to do. I didn't really see anything wrong with what I was doing. I didn't really connect the dots. I didn't understand what was happening. I was a little kid. I I say this because I beat myself I beat myself up over it now. And I try not to because I I really know it, it wasn't my fault that I shunned him. But I did I shunned him. He doesn't blame me for it now. We're both on the outside and we both talk now and everything, but it's still hard to deal with. And with Jehovah's Witnesses, that's what, that's part of their system of rewards and punishments, shunning. It's social pressure. They prevent you from uh, from taking part in social events. They forbid your family from speaking to you if you break their rules. It's a system of rewards and punishments designed to condition you to have certain personality traits that they want you to have. Something else I noticed on the bite model when I was looking at it and comparing Jehovah's Witnesses to it, something called thought-stopping techniques. I thought about this, and I I made note of some of the thought-stopping techniques or the anxiety-calming techniques that they had. Uh, For example, they would say, read the scriptures when you're upset. When you're thinking about something that you shouldn't be thinking about, like if you're having impure thoughts of some sort, read the scriptures, memorize a scripture and condition yourself. Every time the word that, that triggers you to have these thoughts appears in your head, replace it with these scriptures. There's a thought stopping techniques. I mean, they, they did a whole video series on how to do this basically how to program yourself, how to brainwash yourself. I remember when I was little, I was afraid of monsters in my bedroom. I was uh, I, ha- I was afraid of the dark. I mean, uh, most kids are afraid of the dark, right? Well, I told my mom that I was afraid of the dark. I said, I feel like there are monsters in my bedroom. She didn't exactly say it this way, but uh, just to summarize, she said, yeah, there are monsters in there, but they're not monsters. They're demons in your bedroom. But if you say Jehovah's name, then they can't hurt you. So I would, go, I would go into my bedroom at night saying the name Jehovah over and over again. Jehovah, 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 Jehovah. That's another technique to try to get you brainwashed. It's a thought-stopping technique. It's a technique to push you deeper into the religion, to make you rely on their methods Another thing they do, I made note of on the bite model, is love bombing. Now, Jehovah's Witnesses are a little bit different with this one than many other religions. A lot of religions will actually befriend people, or they'll tell their members to befriend people specifically so that they can bring them into the religion. Now, Jehovah's Witnesses, they do that. They do want you to befriend people to bring them into the religion, but if they're If the moment it looks like it's a dead end, you're supposed to run. The moment it looks like a dead end. You're not supposed to go hang out with people uh, outside of the religion. You're not supposed to hang out with them outside of work or outside of school. You're supposed to preach to them. And the moment you think they're not really actually interested, you run. So they do love bombing. um, But like I said, it's not quite to the extent that other religions do it. So how do religions become cults? How does this happen? How do you get from some moderate thing to this extreme cult that's controlling people? How where is the where is the leap there? The problem is that a lot of the time when you are learning about these groups like when you're learning about their ideologies, it doesn't seem that extreme to start. They kind of hide the extreme stuff from you or on occasion, they are growing more extreme with you. So when I was, I used to be an anti-SJW, I'm neither an SJW nor an anti-SJW anymore. But when I was an, when I was an anti-SJW, I remember watching a lot of these YouTubers who were talking about it And it seemed super reasonable at the time. I was so on board with everything that they were saying. And over time, it got more and more extreme and I didn't even realize it. I didn't realize how extreme it was getting. But Kylie's mom, my daughter's mom, she was watching anti-SJW stuff too, but she was watching different YouTubers. And I saw her getting more extreme than me. I saw the gap. I saw it happening, and that's what it took to kind of shock me out of it for a second. It's like, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. That's an extreme version of my position that I already hold. Then I started hearing the YouTubers that I was watching talking about the exact same thing. That's when I realized that I held extremist views, extremist anti-SJW views. And that's what it took to break me out of it. People don't see, people in extremist religions don't see that it's extremist. They think it's reasonable and logical and consistent. And as time goes on, these religions get more and more and more extreme. And there's there's a, a, a massive gradient there that... that it's a gradual process of getting more extreme and that's why the people don't realize it that is how a religion becomes a cult and how it maintains members through that Uh, the first guest i have on the list is foiled no more so give me a second see if i can unmute you are you there can you hear me
1: yes i can hear you loud and clear how's it going no i'm doing all right had a couple drinks, enjoyed a wonderful podcast.
0: Oh, awesome. All right. So, we've never talked in never here before, have we?
1: Uh, say that one more time?
0: We haven't talked in here before, have we?
1: I. This is my first.
0: Oh, cool. So, what religion were you originally? Are you still religious, or?
1: Oh, no. I am very, very much anti-religious.
0: Okay, tell me about it. So, uh, what, like, what do you, how do you feel about it?
1: Well... A bit of background. I was born into the Lutheran church, born and raised, baptized, had it shoved down my throat with my applesauce, basically. Mm. Here, here's your applesauce in the name of Jesus, basically, is what I was growing up, growing up with. Um, I, I went to church camp for basically all the years that I was in school, kindergarten through 12th grade, and I was devout, you know, I, or at least I thought, because, you know, you ask someone today and, you know, I tell them, hey, I'm atheist. They're like, then you were never devout in the first place. Oh yeah. Which I'm going to say that drives me so crazy. Because like, really? Really? You never had doubts? Really?
0: Yep. I know exactly what you mean. I know that argument. It drives me nuts too.
1: Exactly. And, uh, but then it came, you know, a, it came to a point in my life at the age of 20 years old. I, you know, I was old enough. I was, you know, starting to think on my own, but I was still very, very much religious. Mm. I, you know, for my uh, 20th birthday, we celebrated in my church. Now, at this point, I already had doubts in my mind. I already had, um, you know, questions. But, you know, like you said, I just, Looked, you know, kept, you know, saying God's name and, you know, praying and whatnot. And I would think they would subside. How wrong I was! Right. Because eight days later, now, par- pardon me if I do get a bit teary, because this this still eats me up to this day. It's
0: fine. There is um, plenty that does it to me. Go on. Oh yeah. Um, it was eight days after my twentieth birthday.
1: Um, we had a great meal. And I went to see the movie American Sniper, mm. which, by the way, for those of you in the chat who haven't seen it, oh, oh such a good movie. Um, Free plug.
0: I think <laughs> Anyways, I remember that um, movie. I think I saw it. It was an interesting oh, movie. Oh, yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. But I just gotten out of that movie, and I get a message from the cousin of one of my best friends. Now, he has he's developmentally disabled and he doesn't really communicate very well through typing. Mm. Uh, anyone who's familiar with the subreddit r slash I had a stroke. He types like that. Mm. Um, and he mentioned something about his cousin had died that day. And I, he mentioned her name and I started freaking out and i called her brother and i asked hey did something happen to Catherine?" and he told me that a week ago she'd been admitted to the hospital um with severe dehydration she couldn't keep anything in her stomach and they took her to the hospital and she was immediately airlifted to the nearest major medical facility due to privacy reasons i'm not going to say where mm. um and it turns out that the reason she couldn't keep anything in her stomach was because she had a ginormous lump, Uh-oh. a tumor, cancerous tumor on her pancreas. Mm. It was stage four terminal, and no one knew.
0: Was this recent and or how
1: long ago was it? This was four years ago. Okay. In January. Okay. Um, and uh, they rushed her in and they put her in pre-OR you know they were putting her under the sedatives and before she even hit the operating table she flatlined mm. they tried to bring her back but it was too late
0: that's a and keep in
1: mind shame. this this is a friend i i was very suicidal from ages 14 to 20 right or i should say 18 and then I was recently discharged from a uh, another inpatient facility for suicidal tendencies, but I'm doing better now. I've got support good, groups good. and whatnot.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and uh, I just it was at that point in my life, you know this this was a a woman, you know, a 24 year old woman who had done nothing, absolutely nothing to harm anybody yeah. she was basically the living embodiment of a saint mm. she had saved my life more times than I can list mm. just by it was like she had the sixth sense about me when I was feeling down and I wanted to just end it I wanted to just cap myself mm. somehow she would know and she'd send me a message And, you know, we would talk, and she'd ask me how I was feeling, and there were times where she would even rush over to my house, pick me up, and (laughs) the most memorable time was the first time she picked me up and she slapped me, and I looked at her bewildered, and I just see the tears welling up in her eyes, and she said, don't you dare effing do this to me. Don't you dare do this to your family. There are more people here counting on you than you know. <clears throat> Excuse me.
0: And that's what yeah. it took for for you to kind of come to your senses about it, I guess?
1: Exactly. Yeah. At that point, I started questioning why, why, if there is this so-called loving God, mm. why, oh, why would he do this to someone who didn't do anything remotely close to deserving it? And I'm going to say it now, nobody deserves cancer in the first place. Which got me questioning even further, why is it even here in the first place? Is it a work of the devil? Is the devil even real? Is God even real? And at that point, things started to click. And I just, I, it was at that point, a month later, I officially started viewing myself as an atheist.
0: And you said you grew up Lutheran originally, right?
1: Very, very Lutheran. My right. parents are still very, very devout. Mm-hmm. My mother knows, and she accepts it. My father doesn't know, and if he found out, I would be disowned.
0: Really? That that intense, huh? That
1: intense. It's, it's bad.
0: It's interesting to um, me that uh, something like that Ended up pushing you out. Sometimes, what ends up happening is an event like that will push people in. What do you think it was mm-hmm. about that event that made you kind of feel like? What made you go the direction of atheism instead of throwing yourself into a, into religion instead? You think?
1: That's that's actually kind of the uh, the filling of the pie here. Mm. That's the good part of the pie. I actually, for the first time in my life, read the Bible cover to cover. Mm. I saw through the BS. I saw through the inconsistencies. I saw all the post editing done in the Bible. And I just, it made me question more. If this is the quote unquote inerrant word of God, if nothing's wrong with it, then why, oh, why are there so many post edits done? And I, you know. Especially in the Old Testament, where they were talking about you know buying and sell how you can buy and sell your slaves, and what drew, threw me the most is the punishment for the rape of a virgin. For those of you who don't know, sorry by the way about your demonetization. All oh,
0: it's it's gone. Um, it's fine. <laughs> All right, go ahead.
1: I'll, I might I I'll sub to your uh, Patreon for you. Oh, it's fine. <laughs> Help with the bills. Thanks. Um, <laughs> but uh, was the you know the forceful taking of a virgin's quote unquote innocence mm. the punishment for it for those of you who don't know in the old scripture you know in the old testament it's spelled out as 50 shekels to the father and you are permanently married to the virgin you you know stole the innocence from that to me just made me physically sick yeah and from that point on i started viewing it with more of a skeptical eye mm that was the first, that was the turning point of me becoming a skeptic in the first place.
0: Yeah. You know, that. the, the sad thing about it is that like a lot of the time religious people will try to kind of justify that away. Um, but it, you know, put it in perspective and put your own child in the shoes of that individual. Try to humanize mm-hmm. the situation a little bit and you'll understand where we're coming from with it. Right.
1: Exactly, and that's exactly what I did. Yeah, I viewed myself, you know, as my child. Yeah, what I would do personally in that situation, there wouldn't be a chance for that guy. There would not be another chance for that guy right. to do that same stupid stunt to somebody else. Right. He wouldn't be here anymore.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's and such a horrific thing. People just don't connect the dots sometimes, you know.
1: Especially me being a victim myself. Right. Of said act, yes. Guys can be victims too. Yeah. And after reading the final chapter of Revelation, and once I read the final amen, I was like, what have I done with my life? I felt like I had just wasted so many years, wasted so much of my potential on this fairy tale, this fake ideal that I was living. And more recently, um... Last year, I started delving into Anton Lavey's text. Oh, I started, you know, reading the Black Bible, and I didn't read through all of it, but the parts I did read made way more sense to me. Yeah, than the than the Bible itself.
0: Yeah, um, and you know, the funny thing about that is that he wrote a lot of that as kind of the counter to the Bible. It's like the exact opposite, the antithesis. So the Bible says things like turn the other cheek if somebody offends you or something. Well, his, his Bible says um, try to avoid violence at all costs, but if you can't, then destroy the person or something like that. It, it's really interesting because the antithesis of the Bible turns out to be a better book than the Bible is sometimes
1: exactly yeah it's way less barbaric yeah <laughs> because it, to me it has more humanism involved in it yeah. it's got you know a more humanistic approach which is what i am at my core i've always always been a humanist i want the best for those in my life mm-hmm. i want the best for people society uh, ah, that can wait for another day but the immediate people around me those are the ones i care about the most right and because, you know, they're the ones I deal with on a day-to-day basis. I don't deal with everybody in a certain area at one specific time, no. And if you do, good luck keeping your sanity. Right. For sure.
0: <laughs> it's really fascinating um, stuff. All right. I, I'm actually out of time. It's been a really fascinating conversation. So fascinating that I completely lost track of time. I appreciate you coming yeah, yeah. on and talking to me. It's been interesting. I'll talk to you next I appreciate- time, okay? appreciate
1: I appreciate everything you do, Telltale. You have a wonderful channel. You're a wonderful content creator. Keep it up. Keep up the great work, and you'll have a new Patreon tonight.
0: All right. Thank you so much. I'll talk to you later on then. Um, FYI, just a quick note for everybody. Um, if you are a patron, you can make it to the top of the list basically instantly. Uh, you're just kicked to the top. So, you know, that's an option. It, I Wish that he had known that earlier. He could have been on forever ago. I I can't even imagine how long the guy's been waiting. But yeah, really fascinating conversation. Um, I did not I didn't even realize how like how deep into it we were. Um, I was just super interested in it. Anyway, the next person uh on the list is One Ring DNHS. Hang on one second. Let me find your name on the list because fun fact, I'm really bad at spelling uh like really bad at spelling and so i can never find things even though they're in alphabetical order but just found it are you there can you hear me
2: yeah can you hear me
0: i can how's it going
2: going all right
0: so what religion were you originally are you still religious or
2: um i was ex-pentecostal hence the uh, dnhs stands for did not handle snakes
0: really awesome i didn't know that's uh, that's funny uh, I think that the state that I live in, West Virginia, is the very last state where it's legal to handle snakes. That's what I heard. I don't know that for a fact, but anyway, you didn't handle snakes then, huh? Nope. <laughs> what kind of Pentecostal yeah. were you? Like, what was it like growing up that way?
2: Um, so I, it was a, uh, it's a sub-denomination called, uh, Square.
0: Mm. Um it's familiar, I but I don't think the, I know much about it.
2: Yeah. Um but you know they it it's very much uh Pentecostalite, you know, they mm. believe in the speaking in tongues, they believe in, you know, what what's called gifts of the spirit. Mm. Heck heck, um, while I was in it, I believed I could have visions. Mm. I believed I did get visions.
0: What kind of visions?
2: Like, um, well, for, for instance, once, uh, during a worship service and this was, um, like summer 2007. So like Mm. just around, like it was before the democratic primary, but Mm. I saw Barack Obama taking the oath of office,
0: the oath of office. Oh, okay. Um, So that was your vision. You saw him taking the oath of office. Yeah. Oh, fascinating. Are you still religious or? No. What happened? Like, how did you kind of give up on the whole idea? And how long ago was that, that you gave up on it?
2: Um, it's very much a a gradual thing. Hmm. Because, you know, part of it was, you know, a big part of it was the, the, you know, young earth creationism. Yeah. And it's like. And, you know, the claim that there are no transitional fossils. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the kind of straws that broke the camel's back was, you know, I I read a news article about um, the discovery of uh, Tiktaalik. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, that's obviously a transitional fossil. Young Earth creation, you know, evolution is a thing that...
0: It's almost like no denying it at a certain point, right? Yeah. Yeah. If I remember correctly, I think Tiktaalik was discovered like in Canada or something, and it was the transition between land and sea, right, or something. Yeah. And I think it was like it was a it was predicted by evolutionary theory where this where we would find this fossil, and we found it there, is what it was. That's why it was one of the reasons why it was so kind of groundbreaking or whatever in the field. I think. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. How long ago did they discover Tiktaalik? Do you remember? I don't remember.
2: No, I I don't remember.
0: Hmm. But yeah, that is kind of a what, like a one-two punch for for young Earth creationism, isn't it? Yeah. So, how long ago did you kind of find your way out of religion?
2: Um. Well, it it, it well, like evolution in itself, it's very very difficult to find the you know spot where it's like okay yeah that's the transition point because it was just kind of a slow gradual process yeah
0: yeah that's very true um how many years ago did you leave religion officially do you think
2: um well i stopped like i stopped purposefully going to church while i was in the military Mm. and then just kind of fell out
0: Mm. just kind of Um, faded out stopped stopped going stopped finding interest in it that kind of thing
2: i i'd say i um like i started labeling myself as an atheist around the uh ham nye debate
0: okay that's awesome yeah i saw that debate what did you think about it
2: i think nye pretty much mop the floor with ham because all ham <laughs> like
0: a plane trip or i'm in like a long car ride or something i'll just throw that on because it's there and i haven't seen it in forever you know but yeah that was such yeah. an awesome debate i loved that um but you know what i find odd about it is there's like there are a lot of people who say ham mopped the floor with nigh. that that blows my mind like i don't see and how you get I, there you know
2: i can tell you I can tell you pretty much like at least 99.9 repeating percent of them are solidly young earth creationists. Oh,
0: yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I just find it fascinating that anybody could view it that way because Nye took every, like even the extremists, like Nye took every claim that, that Ken Ham presented and broke it down and just destroyed it. Like every single one in that debate. It seemed to me like... But, you know, on the other hand, I I don't usually like using, like, in the context of debates, I don't usually like using language that says, like, winner or loser. Because, really, it, it's yeah. it's hard to say anybody won or lose. Just you present more counter-arguments more convincingly than the other person, really, right? But, yeah. But, Nye, you, you're you totally right. I think Nye just mopped the floor with the guy. Just destroyed him. Uh, it was... Really a good debate though I uh, you know here's the thing, Richard Dawkins famously said he doesn't think that we should be debating Christians. we shouldn't be talking about this because the debate's over. there is no debate um they've lost, we won pretty much right I mean we noah's flood didn't happen. that's just a fact. evolution yeah. is real that's a fact we don't need to debate that stuff, but then. Bill Nye went on stage and debated Ken Ham. So here's the question, like, should he have? Should he have debated? I think he should have. I think uh, Bill Nye did the right thing by debating Ken Ham. What do you think about it?
2: Um, on one hand, yes, it pro- it probably did at least a little harm because it, you know.
0: given it a platform or whatever. Got a
2: lot of, you know, get, got a lot of publicity for yeah. the um, Creation Museum. But on the other hand, you know it it was one of the things that helped got me you know, helped get me out. Yeah. Among other things. It probably helped a lot of people who were on the fence get out.
0: Yeah, I agree. So
2: overall I'd say it was
0: a good idea. I agree. I think it did a lot more good than it did harm. Um even if it meant that there was some kind of a small temporary cash infusion to the Creation Museum. You know, I actually even yeah. I went to the Creation Museum fairly recently, in the past like year or something, and it was pretty interesting. Uh, I saw a lot of Mennonites there. I don't know if you get, you've ever seen Mennonites before, but
2: um, no, uh, where where I am, we uh, we actually have a disproportionate amount of Mormons.
0: Really? Are you really like in the it. Utah area or?
2: No that's why I said disproportionate oh okay now.
0: got you that's interesting uh, yeah yeah
2: I'm a bit I'm a bit north from Utah
0: okay um, well yeah I live in West Virginia which is yeah. right Montana here so wait say again Montana oh okay I got a buddy that lives in Montana that's cool um, yeah it's really cold up there isn't it Yeah. But yeah, I But yeah, go ahead.
2: On the uh subject of the Creation Museum. Mm-hmm, yeah. Like I'm uh so my sister's, you know, still in, she's mm-hmm. still like really into it and you know. And um her her daughter's like not even 3 and she was already, you know, she had already been taken to the Creation Museum. Oh man. So, what I did was when I was on honeymoon, I, um, me and my wife spent a week in London. So, and one of the things we did was we went to the Museum of Natural History. Mm. So, I got a uh, plush Darwin from the gift shop. Awesome. And I gave it, and I gave it to my niece as a Christmas present.
0: That's awesome. How did, uh, her mom feel about it?
2: You could definitely hear it's like, the, the fact dawning on it on my brother-in-law because mm. you know they videotaped my niece opening it oh and it was like oh god <laughs> it's like oh it's a darwin uh, and a turtle from the galapagos
0: <laughs> that is funny man all right well actually i'm out of time i'm gonna uh continue off air but i appreciate you coming out and talking to me it's been really awesome maybe we'll talk again one of these days okay yeah i i've been um like I was going to say, I I didn't learn anything about evolution when I was younger. Um, I didn't learn it in school or anything because I, I didn't have a biology class. I think I was supposed to have a biology class, but I didn't, I didn't even graduate high school. I got a GED later on. I had to drop out of high school because I didn't have anywhere to live. My parents kicked me out because I was Jehovah's Witness, or because I left Jehovah's Witnesses. They kicked me out. I was I was in 11th grade when they kicked me out, and I had to get a job and work living in this girl's bedroom for like three weeks until a buddy of mine at Burger King where I worked told me I could be his roommate for like 150 bucks a month. So I moved in with him, and I was trying to survive. I was just trying to survive, and I dropped out of school. But that means I didn't have a biology class. I didn't learn anything about... Um, evolution or anything until I was like, I taught it to myself like 22 years old or something. I learned all about it, learned everything I could about evolution because it was fascinating to me. Once you learn about the key concept, it's really not that complicated a thing, honestly. It's like, if you just read about uh, mutation, random mutation, where every time a baby is born, or every time offspring uh appears it has a certain number of genetic mutations right so you get there and most creationists will accept that and then you look up gene duplication which is where entire sets of your dna are duplicated and spliced together this is just a natural part of life this is this is a natural part of reproduction this is what happens Gene duplication and mutation. Those two things combined lead to new information being added, which is something young Earth creationists say doesn't happen. And that's just how evolution works. That's how it works. We got the science behind it. We know enough about it to call it unequivocally. It is a fact. It's a fact. There's the theory of evolution, and then there's the fact of evolution. You can be religious and you can still accept evolution, but like I said, it's something that you accept or you reject because it's a fact. It isn't something that you believe or disbelieve. So, Anyway, okay, I wanted to get to another person, but it's actually past time. I'm sorry, guys. Um, I'm going to have to get going. I'm going to have to edit the podcast after this and everything. So appreciate you guys coming on and talking to me. It's been an awesome podcast, and I will talk to you next week.